And welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Trip Mitchell, and that's Randall Carlisle. And uh, just joking that we've got a young, beautiful guest on to make us look more pure appropriate. Well, and 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 we saw that the ratings were slipping last week, and so we needed we needed somebody here to boost ratings. So I. Yeah, found the most beautiful woman I could on the street, and I said, "Hey, do you want to be on a podcast?" And she said, "Yeah, <laughs> sure. sure." Yeah, so. and uh, that was nice enough to, for you. What are we going to talk about for the next half hour? Is going to be a challenge, but I yeah. bet we'll come up with something. We could talk about her okay. makeup and her clothes, and but, but we don't want to talk about that. It's her, her name is Amy Dashel, and she's a good friend of mine, and I call her. She hasn't heard this before. The queen of recovery oh. in the Salt Lake area. Because she is known and loved by a ton of, there's a huge recovery community in Salt Lake. And what impressed me is just recently, she just came up with an idea to get together a bunch of people who could offer service to people who are in recovery or who might be seeking recovery. And all of a sudden there were 500 to 700 people down and and a whole bunch of organizations. So you have a lot of power, young lady. Oh, it's not, it's the community that has power. It was just, it was a great idea, and a lot of people with a lot of passion about um, treating substance use disorder or helping them with housing, whatever that looks like in the community, to reach out and say, hey, you're not alone. It was very easy to bring those organizations together because the passion's all the same and we're all fighting the same battle, so it was beautiful to see. I wonder if we could get a crown or something and say Queen of Recovery on it. So would you wear it then? No, is there a Prince of Recovery or King of Recovery? Or are you pretty much the royal family she, all in one? She, she, There's an army of recovery. Yeah. I mean, it's everybody. It's every voice matters. Everybody's story makes an impact. Everybody knows the darkness. Everybody has that pain that they can relate to. And you know, when we speak up together as one voice, it's super powerful to come together and to just tap in on that passion that everybody has to help. So in a previous show, we had Riley from USERA on. Yes. And he was talking a little bit about the community here. And I asked him, because Utah's a pretty conservative state, you would think that people in recovery are kind of a small minority stuck off in the corner. And he indicated that's not the case in Utah, that it's pretty, Correct. there are more people than you'd ever think who have a drug or alcohol issue. It's unbelievable. I uh, moved from Florida, from Miami, to back to Salt Lake. Um, I grew up in Salt Lake as a child and then moved all over down south and had just recently come from Miami, and I've never seen a recovery community that, like Salt Lake City has. It's remarkable how connected they are together, all the different organizations, and how well they work together. And, you know, coming from Miami and seeing what they have out there, it's it's not as connected. You're It's you're going through such a process to find the resources that you need and nobody communicates. But in Salt Lake City... So every individual fiefdoms in Miami? Correct, yeah. I mean, and you're going all over, you know. But Salt Lake City has condensed it down into one workable format to where we communicate, to where we have all the resources, we're educated on each organization. So we don't know just about what we do. We know about what everybody does. And that's what makes it so powerful is we can connect them to each resource because we're educated on that because we communicate. And this is amazing. Just as an adjunct, my office is across the street from the AA Central Office. And I was over there one day and met Randall and said, let's do a show about recovery. And today, having you on and and our guest a couple weeks ago, I'm finding out that my focus has been on the AA community because that's what impacts me. But, And we've heard some great stories about Odyssey House. 
because mm-hmm. they've done some amazing work. But this is to see that there's a much bigger picture is really encouraging. Oh, it's very exciting. And, and there's, there's not, uh, she could be working for another treatment center or in this case, USARA, and, and there's never any kind of friction saying, how come you don't refer more people to our program or anything like that? It's, it's, uh, it's, you're right, it's like a family. It is, it yeah. is. And I mean, the biggest thing in your recovery is it's gotta be their plan. So we don't wanna push into one direction or another because I could write the perfect plan for somebody that I think is gonna work for them in their recovery and it's not going to work. It has to be self-motivating. It has to be their decision. It has to be what they want it to look like. And Salt Lake's really wrapped around that idea of meeting them where they're at. Usera is, that's, that's where our core belief is, is you have to meet them where they're at. And whether that's harm reduction, whether that's disease prevention, whether if they want treatment, whether they just want a community or somebody to meet with one-on-one or call them, if you don't meet them where they're at, that trust, it's, it's shaded. Um, and to try to build that trust and say, hey, I'm here for you, whatever that looks like, whether you walk into USERA in your active addiction, completely high, we will take you, we will talk with you, we will support you. So you have to meet them where they're at and establish that trust and then let them self-motivate to what they want. And that's the biggest thing with the solid community is what's going to work for you, you tell me. And then, and then if they say Odyssey or if they say Haven or if they say whatever that looks like for them, we will help support them into getting into that pathway, which is why it works, which is why people make the change. One, we can instill the hope as you can recover, here I am. You know, I literally can pull up my sleeves and show my scars and say, I've been there, I know that darkness. And to be able to do that and give them that hope, that gives them that, that motivation to choose what they want it to look like. And that's, that's the big difference. And I think that's what Salt Lake has started to embrace, which has been super impactful. Will, will Salt Lake eventually be a model for other cities around the country? I, from what I, my opinion, absolutely. I think we're on the verge of something here. And what we showed last Saturday, being able to come together and, and rally as one voice and work together because we all do something different, we all do something powerful, was huge. Yeah, so tell really me about that rally. So we decided to organize an outreach. I was contacted to have a story covered up about what my outreach efforts were, and that's just not what it's about. It's everybody's efforts. So I thought, let's get everybody together. I got VOA Detox together. Um, They were there and took people straight into detox. And we had Odyssey, we had Flourish Bakery, we had Justice for Cody, we had YPR, we had Recovery Soldiers Addicted We Stand, we had Utah Harm Reduction, Utah Naloxone, One Voice, The Haven, we had them all. Everybody showed up for one massive outreach. We provided clothing, hygiene kicks. And were you downtown? Yes, right at Pioneer Park. Free food? Free food. We had Congressman Ben McAdams come show his support. It was, it was... They had, they had tarps lined out on the grass with, with tons of clothing. Uh, it, it, uh, Jen Plum from Naloxone, uh, Utah Naloxone was there handing out Naloxone kits. I mean, it was just a, it was a whole conglomeration people, of... How many people were down there? I would say about 700. Yeah, it was I would agree. We had the Burrito Project who did 300 burritos and was out fairly quickly. And then Justice for Cody cooked 200 hamburgers, 200 hot dogs, and we ran out of everything. What a tremendous event. And this was your idea? She just did it all on her own. That's, it's, that's, that's it's, why I call her the queen. It's you not know. on my own. The idea <clears throat> was, was mine, but the effort was everybody's. I mean, I can't take the credit for what everybody showed up and did. It so was every organization. You have a unique story. I do. The thing that's cool about her 
that I, th- I think is if, if you say drug addict or alcoholic or whatever, you, everybody has their own image, right? And probably when you talk about drug addiction, probably everybody's first image might be down on the block, Rio Grande. Uh, not somebody in a suburban house, a normal person. Amy's both. So both. take it yes. away. So my addiction started on a dependency. I had 12 foot surgeries that spanned over a year, um, resulting in being prescribed five oxy 30 milligrams a day. So they had me on a very high Do you dose. you have any left? <laughs> oh, they're gone. They've been gone a long time, which uh, built a strong dependency. And life has a beautiful way of bringing trauma to your world, right? I was going through a divorce. My mother committed suicide. I was a single mom trying to raise two kids with this dependency on pain pills. And all of a sudden, the pain pills were ceased with no taper, with no... Um, plan with the doctor of how to come off of those I was just cut immediately off and uh, relocated to Florida when all this was going down to try to start over with my kids I was in financial bankruptcy in Utah the market was good I was in mortgage was my career it was good in Florida so I relocated there and my world came tumbling down all this trauma came Um, I had no plan it was just not working out relapsed started paying for the pills because I knew one, what they did, the dependency showed me that one, I can function on these, and they gave me that you feel superpower on these, right? Like, I had no idea what how these would affect me. Uh, couldn't afford the pills anymore. Switched to the first ten dollar bag of heroin. Started smoking it. Took the withdrawals away. I was able to function. Lost everything once I switched to heroin. Relocated back to Utah. Um, my kids were staying with family, and uh, had to fight. For custody, my ex-husband was trying to avoid some child support, so I flew back to, from Florida, lost everything to fight jurisdiction in Utah because that's where the custody case was, and just broke. And the heroin had taken over. I lost everything to the point where my kids went to New Mexico with their father, and I became homeless. So I was down on the streets, down on what they call the block, right downtown, two years, literally on the streets went to IV use and was selling meth to support my habit, had a tarp over me, snow coming down, would never stay in the shelter, literally slept on the streets for two years. In and out of jail, 267 days on misdemeanor charges, never was charged on felonies for just paraphernalia and possession, begging for treatment. But because I didn't start using till I was 38 years old and had no criminal history, I wasn't eligible for the treatment programs in jail. I'd have to sit and wait a year before I could even get into the CATS program because I didn't have the criteria that made me eligible or bad enough to be, right, to be um, eligible for the programs. So I was just released back on the jail right into my addiction. Overdosed twice, um, almost lost my arm to the staph infection from an abscess went right back out and used. I mean, coming out of the hospital, I'm pumped full of oxys, given all these prescriptions. There was just never any hope for me, praying that the next shot would kill me. And it wasn't until Operation Rio Grande, when that rolled out, that I got arrested on August 23rd, 2017. And 37 days later, after I was detained, I was offered treatment. Grabbed it. I mean, it was the most exciting day to know that I finally could get help. And that's was only because of Operation Rio Grande that gave me the opportunity. I went seven months into House of Hope, 
completed inpatient and outpatient treatment. Um, while I was in outpatient treatment, I started working for Haven Residential Support Staff, which showed me the power of community. That Haven community is unlike none I've ever seen, which rallied behind you, supported <clears throat> you through your recovery, was a huge community to be a part of, which struck that passion for me. You know, my passion and my recovery became purpose when I started using it in the service of others. And that's when I knew, like, I didn't want anybody else to be in that situation and not have the knowledge or the ability to be able to go through treatment. I work at VOA Detox as well. I work there um, part-time. And I didn't even know that facility existed until I started working there. The detox? The detox center. Had really? no idea that VOA was even an option for me. I'm surprised you didn't end up one of those nights down on the street you would think. at VOA Detox. You would think. It was either straight to jail or right back on the wow. street. Was never even told of it. Even when I would go into the road home and ask for services, I was never even offered that. And so it, it became clear to me that we need some voices out there. We need some people who are going to be able to just show up and give those services and offer those resources, which is why I love you, Sarah. Um, I'm on the same team as my coworker, Riley Drage. We are ARCHES. And it stands for Addiction Recovery Coaching and Healthcare in Emergency Settings. She's got that down well. Yeah. I, and we uh, we have a unique team. We are able to deploy into the hospitals and emergency care settings. So we do detox. We do the Women and Children's Center. We're getting ready to roll out with emergency services and ride with them on site. Because we're finding that about 85% people are not taking any emergency care after an overdose. They're refusing to go to the hospital to be checked after an overdose, going so right they, back out. So they'll get the drug that saves their lives <clears throat> right. and not want to go in. Which puts you right into withdrawal, which means you're going to want to go right back out and try to counteract that. Now, naloxone's only effective 30 to 90 minutes, so these people are in severe risk. I, I don't think people are aware of the fact either when they see all these advertisements and news stories on naloxone because I've, I've watched it I'm sure you've seen it too when a when a first responder will administer it somebody somebody had obviously overdosed thinking they were going to get high okay and so they they did too much and they were going to die so they get naloxone and the second you come the second you come to you're, you're no longer high and and people can become very violent and very upset about the fact that you know I just I just bought some stuff and it and and now I'm sober. I you know I don't like it. Uh, so you know that's that's why people would be refusing help out on the street. Yes. And and so in that respect, it's kind of a dangerous job being the person who's right there. Very very dangerous. Yeah. And it, like I was saying, thirty to ninety minutes, it's effective. Once that naloxone wears off, they can fall right back out. So they need to get stabilized. They need some kind of support right then and there, which is what we're getting to ready to roll out. We go up to the hospitals on suicides, overdoses, substance use um, disorder, anything that falls under that criteria. We deploy 24-7, seven days a week. We just rotate between our team and take those calls. We work with Super Rad, which is at the University of Utah, which is the pregnant addicted mothers. So we go to their clinic every Monday, and we meet with those mothers and offer them support. It's amazing to see the reaction you get to be able to go in and not come from a professional authority and to be able to meet them on their level and literally say, I understand and be able to back that up. You know, in my own recovery, you know, treatment was huge, of course, therapy, but the people that actually changed me were the ones that instilled hope in me by showing me that it can be done because they lived it themselves. 
That's where the power is, is instilling the hope that recovery is possible. And you can't get that from a medical professional. You can't get that from a therapist. You can only get that from somebody who's actually been there. And, and that's where the power is in peer recovery coaching. <clears throat> that's why, that, that, that's Odyssey's philosophy. I mean, we're a therapeutic community, and the people who have stayed in the program longer rise to higher levels and interact with the people who are just coming in. And it's because of the fact, I mean, you could have four PhDs and be an expert on everything, but if you haven't gone through it, and I'm an alcoholic or an addict, and you're telling me, now, son, this is the way things should be, and this is what you're doing to your body when this happens, I'm going I'm to flip you the bird. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that commonality of experience. In your situation, having become addicted so late in life, <clears throat> do you think that... Late? Yeah. She's a youngster. <laughs> what, what, what are you Relatively talking about? Late in, God. Do you think that your experience has allowed you to maybe have better perspective since you've had a, you know, your mother, you're doing mortgages, you're very successful, and then all of a sudden, because of some surgeries, you've fallen into addiction. Does that give you a more interesting perspective? As far as, what do you... Just kind of the overview on everything. Because in when Randall and I tell our story, and we're both recovering alcoholics, we've been drinking, both Randall and I, for virtually our whole decades. lives. So it's sure. a lot of... Uh, we're recovering from something that lifelong behavior. Your story is a little different, and I'm kind of interesting in your perspective of having been successful and then falling into this, and going from the highest of the high to the lowest of lows very quickly. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, I mean for me it was it was mind blowing to see how how quick you can fall into into that deep of an addiction, right? Not having had those behaviors my whole life. And going through a normal procedure of what you think you're safe in a doctor's perspective on medications, taking it, building this dependency. I started to notice it when I started to be using the pills to function, right? Um, starting to slow down on them, you start to feel the withdrawals, you start to feel the effects. And being able to just numb all emotion and feeling, that's when it turned into an addiction for me. Is when I started to treat every, something other than the pain, right? And... Uh, seeing how quickly it took me from being successful, being married in my church, doing everything that society told me was normal and productive, and having it all taken away within six month time frame to where I'm homeless. And you know, you like to think that you're not a person that has a stigma, right? And it put a lot of things in perspective for me, having been the person on the other side, having been viewed the junkie, having, People look at me not knowing my story, right? Like I was a normal person. I was a productive member of society. And to be treated as you're just another worthless junkie. And to be able to live on those streets with the people that I lived with, there is a family down there. They actually do look out for each other. I mean, to a certain extent, right? But to see how many good people were living the same circumstances of being homeless that just had unfortunate trauma who are good solid people who just don't have the help was very eye-opening for me. So you're in a situation now where you want to make sure that everyone who's in that situation has someone to talk to, has an idea of what programs are available. What would you say to former speaker Hughes or he still Greg Hughes who really started this whole thing? You know I actually still speak to Hughes um, the first time I met Greg Hughes, he was at a drug court graduation, which I had to attend for my drug court to graduate, right? So that's when I first met him. 
And the first thing I said to him when I walked up was, thank you for saving my life. Because if it wasn't for that program, I would not be sitting here. I've tried to go through treatment. I tried to ask for help. It wasn't available to me or offered to me. And it was only because of that program that they rolled out and that they, you know, I think that's a good example of Operation Rio Grande to where every organization came together, police, state, government, all of it. Treatment centers. For the first time and just said, let's put it all aside and let's just work together. And I think that's why our community is the way that it is. I mean, it was set an example by Rio Grande of, you know, let's do this. And, you know, we can go back and forth of, is this successful? Is it a waste of money? Right. Do you violate your civil rights? That kind of stuff. Right. And, you know, and every life matters. And I'm just so grateful that they all thought that mine meant enough to try to save. She's a poster child for Operation Rio Grande. You know, uh, I was in on some of the planning sessions and, and she brings up a really good point is that in those planning sessions, they had people from, from representing a whole bunch of different agencies and, and concerns about life. And there were people like, I remember one of the most vocal people was Pamela Atkinson, who's, who's really an advocate for the homeless. And every time, first, when people got together to talk about Operation Rio Grande at first, they said, we got to get all this crap out of the streets and it's a cesspool, it's, a, it's terrible. And, and so you're talking just about law enforcement at that point. And she and others would speak up and say, yeah, but what are you going to do when you, when you run your sweep through there and arrest people? Because for it to be successful or for us to sign off on it, you're going to have to have that second phase, which is treatment for the people you arrest. Otherwise, you've got the same problem. It'll just keep, it'll go on forever. And so, I mean, and so, you know, Amy's a prime example of, if you were to, well, you were arrested a bunch of times. So you arrested, dropped on no, the street. no treatment, yeah. dropped on the street, and, and say what you will about Operation Rio Grande. But there, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people who, I've seen go through treatment programs who didn't want, I mean, they didn't want to be arrested at the time and be forced into that situation, who at the end do say thank you to the people involved in Operation Rio Grande. Yeah, and Greg Hughes seemed to me, as a Republican legislator from, I believe, Draper, he took the this whole thing and ran with it. And probably one of the most <clears throat> effective in my years of being around a lot of politics, one of the most effective programs I've ever seen. And, you know, it's not perfect. There are some byproducts and and some other things that have happened, but it saved your life, and now you're in the process of working with a lot of people to try to save save their lives. And I had a long-winded question before, and I guess, and you did a great job of answering it, to be cruising along at 37 years old and everything is great, and then a year later be homeless Hmm. shows that this is not something that... You know, no one wakes up in the morning and said, well, I want to go have elective foot surgery and become right. addicted to painkillers. Yeah, right. That is not an option that a lot of people have. I, I'm curious about, because you were in that situation that a lot of people, I mean, a lot of, quote, normal people are that live all over the state and maybe watching this. What was your opinion before you went through this of, like, say, the junkie down on Rio Grande? What did you think of them at the time? You got married in the church and oh, you yeah. were living I had a- the stigma, Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you think that they don't want help, that they, that, you know, they chose to be down there, that, and, and that was, that was a, you know, he's funny, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have learned that lesson if I had not had gone through it. 
and as much damage as I caused and as much pain as I caused, you know, I, of course I would take that back, right? Of course I wouldn't want to put that on anybody or put anybody through that. But at the end of the day, I'm grateful I went through it. I really am. I mean, because it, it freed me from a lot of false beliefs and lies that I went through, but I would have never have had that chance. And now being on the other side and seeing what it really is and to be able to help people and, and say no it's not what it is right and to be able to erase that stigma from my life has been so freeing and to be able to try to help lift that and say we need to treat this whether it was a choice whether it's a disease we can go all day long on that argument at the end of the day people are dying and we need to treat it so whatever that looks like and whatever options we can do to tackle this we have to do this as a community as a whole organization in the recovery, whatever that looks like, it's not going to go away. It just keeps increasing. Now we're in fentanyl, which isn't everything. I went up to an overdose on marijuana up at the hospital laced with fentanyl. People smoking weed thinking they're safe. Yeah, and it's incredible. The amount of emergency room visits in Colorado has gone up demonstrably, and about 25% of those are marijuana-related. Yeah. And this is a drug that most of us... I, I look at like it's just recreational and not harmful. But when you add fentanyl, it can be deadly. deadly. I mean, fentanyl is so powerful. I, I can't believe how powerful it is. And carfentanyl now, which is an elephant tranquilizer, yeah. which is even stronger than fentanyl, there was a bust on the eastern seaboard because uh, you can get fentanyl a lot cheaper than you can get heroin or anything else. And so if you mix it all, it's, you make more profit as a dealer. And they did a, bu- and, you, and you order it online from China, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I, tr- I was doing a special report and I tried to order some and the only reason that, that they wouldn't send it to me is I didn't know how to pay in Bitcoin and oh. that's what they want that's what they that's what they want but anyway they they confiscated an amount that to me didn't sound like it wasn't like you know hundreds of kilos of cocaine or or anything like that it was a, a much smaller sounding amount and if if you believe what the DEA said there they said there was enough fentanyl there to kill a hundred million people I mean, that's how powerful it is. It's 100 times more powerful than heroin. Carfentanil is 100 times on top of that more, which is what they're using for the, for the animals. I'll do the math. 100 times 100, carry 100. That's really bad <clears> stuff. Very bad. Thank you for that. I, I mean, it's incredible. It's unreal. And it builds the dependency, which is why they're cutting it. One, it's cheap. Two, it's easy to get. Why do you cut marijuana with fentanyl? Because you build a dependency. You're instantly getting them dependent upon this opiate substance which they wow. have a stronger high, they have a stronger reaction. It's they different. go, wow, this was really good Absolutely. stuff. So they I go mean, back. You know, I mean, it's you know. desperate now. I mean, after the sweep, after all the action that we've taken in Salt Lake, the game's not the same on the streets, right? You're not getting the same kind of sales. You're not getting the same kind of clients. I mean, you're not able to go down at the block and stand there and sell your drugs for eight hours and make a, a lot of money. So you need to find new ways to build a dependency to where you keep getting those repeat customers back. I mean, it's going back to the old ways where you call up your dealer and you meet up with them. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of work than what it used to be. So whatever dependency you can build, whatever strong substance you can submit to have people come back and make that money, they're going to do it. And carfentanil has been super easy to get. The, oh, that's uh, pretty discouraging. The, the interesting thing I heard at the, I, I, I said in our last podcast, I was the Utah Syringe Exchange Network, and they were talking, I had never even thought about this, but they were talking about the fact that they are now lacing uh, meth and cocaine with fentanyl. And people are really angry because if you think about, if you're doing heroin, it's a downer, okay? But meth and cocaine are uppers and speedy kind of things. 
And so if you add fentanyl, then it negates part of the effectiveness. You're not up it. I mean, it's, it's like a speedball. You're getting a little up, but you've also got some downer. So the people who bought what they thought was meth, and it doesn't give them the same up high like that because there's fentanyl in there, are getting mad at their dealers because it's not the desired high. But the reason it was brought up is that a lot of these harm uh, reduction people are now have fentanyl test strips that they are giving to people. Oh, that's... So, so you don't have to die for, if you, if you want to get a test strip and they're, I don't know, a buck a piece or something like that. If you want to test your drugs so you don't die from an overdose of, of fentanyl, you can do it now. And mm. that's, that's what harm reduction is about. Well, there's so many amazing programs in this state, and I feel so much better. Just our interview today, getting a chance to meet you, and, and first of all, hearing your story, and congratulations, Thank coming you. out the other side. But the fact that it's great to hear that a lot of organizations are putting their ego aside at their door. Yes. And check your ego at the door and, and do what's best for people here in Utah. And speaking of that, we've had a number up on the screen throughout the show. And if you've got someone in your family, someone you know who's got some real challenges, a call makes a lot of sense. There's some wonderful people at Odyssey House who'd be glad to talk to you. And Randall, you've, since retiring from the news business, this has been your focus. Well, it's been like Amy talks about how this is, I mean, I'd be, I'd, I haven't even asked her about this, but I bet if you had your choice of doing mortgages or working at USERA, you'd take USERA any day. I, I don't work a day in my life because I love what I do. And, and yeah. see, I, I feel the same way. I mean, people ask me, they'll say, well, don't you miss the stardom of being on TV and that kind of stuff? And this is the best job, not to demean the jobs that I had in the past, but, but this is the best job I've ever had. And I agree with you. I look forward... I didn't always look forward to going to work at the TV station. And I, every single day I look forward to going to work at Odyssey because every day is different. We're dealing with a different, today we're doing a podcast. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, there's, I get to meet all the people who are in our, in our program, both staff and clients. And, and the cool thing about it is everybody's working for the same end mm-hmm. and that's recovery. Uh, and what a what a worthwhile goal. I mean, how can, I sleep I, I sleep at night now. I didn't yeah. I didn't sleep. I used to sit there thinking, oh, that was a terrible ten o'clock newscast. How can we do better tomorrow? And and the boss yelled at me, and a live shot went down, and stuff that really doesn't matter in life, I guess, when you think about it. But but now we're dealing with human lives, and and not everyone succeeds, and and you know a lot of people still die and. And our program isn't for everybody, and no program is for everyone. Everybody, I think Amy put it well, where we, you know, we talk about, is, is this program right for you? You know, uh, but, but overall, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure you, you feel that same. I mean, I was so impressed with the fact that, which is why I called her the queen of recovery, <laughs> Uh, that one person could, usually if you try to organize an event, it's a hell of a lot of work. Uh, and you probably did spend a lot of time, but by the same token, I mean, everybody, Amy called and they go, yeah, I'll be there. I mean, describe the process. It was, I mean, and it was, it was unreal to see how willing they were and not all, I mean, it, it was a lot of work, yeah, to coordinate, but it really wasn't as much work as you would think because each organization showed up and did their part. 
So as much work as you think it would take to put into it, you just say, okay, recovery soldiers do this. YPR did a whole, YPR really showed up. Young they, people in recovery. They organized a lot, and, and everybody just took their own little piece, and so the, the effort wasn't as much as you would think. When are you going to do it again? <laughs> <laughs> now you're putting her on the spot. I, I hope soon. I hope soon, being, seeing how powerful that was and seeing how well it worked together, um, I'm hoping that we're on the verge of something of coordinating as coming together like this as one, whether we're meeting once a month and talking more and getting on the same page, um, whether it's an outreach or whatever we decide, I'm, I'm really hoping that we can keep this going. We're getting a lot of mainstream support too. I mean, for instance, she, she or she, she's friends and so am I with Ben McAdams and he, desperately wanted to be there and did show up i mean and what did it take it wasn't like please ben please or yeah or, i just i literally texted him and said hey i'm doing outreach he's like i'll be in town you want to speak done it was, so it was ben mcadams for someone who was the former mayor of salt lake county and now is a our representative back in washington yes and someone who supported this and salt lake county really <clears throat> When it came to Operation Rio Grande, at least my understanding, Salt Lake County really stepped to the forefront. They did. And probably usurped Salt Lake City in some respects yes. and did more good there. Well, more, there's, there, people may not understand the funding process for various treatment facilities and things that happen. And, and, and most of, of the money that comes, I, I can speak for Odyssey House, comes through Salt Lake County, not Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City is primarily responsible for the outside things that happen around the road home and, and things like that. And they do, and, and they do support like some affordable housing projects and, th and things like that. But most of the money comes from Salt Lake County Behavioral Health uh, to fund programs that are, that are doing good things, you know, around the county. So, and Ben is, you know, Ben's a prime example of mainstream support, if you think about yes. it. I mean, Ben's a good Mormon, he, a Democrat, I guess, so that doesn't make him as good a Mormon. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but he, when, he was, when he was running against Mia Love, one of the areas that he considered as part of the community that he needed to campaign in was the recovery community. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw him, uh, he came out to... Odyssey's Mill Creek facility, which would be about 90 or 100 people there, talked to them, wanted to, I mean, ask about that, uh, came out to one of our graduates' meetings, which was only six or seven people at our outpatient clinic, and, and I, I filmed one of them, and, and he was asking, you know, it was, and he was talking, and gra our graduates obviously have gone through the program and understand, like, like Amy does, you know, what what's entailed with, you know, the substance use disorder issue. And he was asking legitimate, well, tell me what it feels like. I mean, why were you doing this? So what can we do to help? Uh, and and how how can government play a, a more constructive role in, in in this whole problem that we're dealing with? And and it's nice to see people in a position like his that, that care. And I know he cares. Oh, absolutely. You know. For him to sleep on the streets. Yeah, that's and true. And put himself in that situation was was very, very humbling for to see that him do that. His love and dedication is un, un, it's just remarkable. It's unbelievable. Well, what the preceding announcement was paid for by Ben McAdams <laughs> for Congress. Or is, yeah. he's known yeah. in the election committee landslide. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. yeah. he, hey, Amy, thank you so thank much you. for coming out. I appreciate your, it. Your story and is pretty inspiring. And thank you. What we can take from it is that. 
addiction, alcohol, these are things that are closer than you think. And so again, if you're watching and you've enjoyed this last little visit and you've got some questions, give a call. The Odyssey number is at the bottom of the screen right now. 801-322-3222. Call now. <laughs> but also, uh, you're welcome to stop into USERA anytime, yes, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, during that. Day yeah, USERA is located on 21st South. 180 East. Beautiful red brick building next to TV specialists. Right, and they're, and they're, and USERA is just—I I mean, you know, I've—you know—they have social activities for people in recovery, or and and like we heard in in a previous podcast, you know, if you if you're high and you want to go in and talk to somebody, you can do that. And you're we not, have every resource that you're looking for, and if you if we don't have it, we will find it for you. So we're basically the resource center of where you want to go in your recovery, whether like we said, harm reduction. Um, disease prevention, treatment, housing will help you with your resume. We're a community center there that they can come in, use the phone, they can come in, use the computer, uh, just have coffee, just have a safe place to go. We get a lot of people from VOA Detox that discharge for their 24 hours and don't want to go use, so they'll come hang out with us until they can go back and readmit. So whatever that looks like, we're here to help wrap around that. That's fantastic. So. Yeah, I mean, and it's a prime example of, of of the recovery community, and I and okay. I think the thing that that I really like about this podcast and about people like Amy and Usera and Odyssey and everybody else and and Trip for talking about it is is our whole goal is to remove the stigma of yes. of the thing so that you don't judge like Amy might have when she was a housewife doing mortgages, saying that junkie on the street made a bad choice that it is a disease and it should be dealt with just like any other disease. Alcoholism, substance use disorder, it's, it's, it's all a disease. And, and I guess the thing that makes me angry when we talked about this in one of our other podcasts, when I, when I say I'm a, an alcoholic in recovery and people say, oh, were you drunk on TV? I mean, and they have this idea attached that, you know, you're, you're making some bad choices when you, right. when you go to work or something. I, for, I never was drunk on TV, but I was drunk a good bit of the rest of the time. Uh, but it, it, if, I, if, I told, if I told you, my God, I was just to the doctor and, I, and I've got cancer, you'd, you'd go, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. But if, you, but if you tell somebody in an average neighborhood who doesn't understand any of this that I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to opioids or heroin or, or alcohol, people tend to look down on you. And, and the goal is, you know, in the, in the long run, is if people just look at you the same way as if you had cancer. Or The difference is, is that this is treatable and there's, there's probably more hope for this disease than there is sometimes in cancer. Maybe I should use diabetes as an example. I mean, because you well, might... yeah, and, and the amount of dollars that go to help people, you know, if you're in the hospital with a rare form of cancer, hundreds of thousands of dollars are spent, and dollars spent in within treatment and helping people out here is a great value for the community. And and when someone like yourself, you're going to be around working for a lot of years, doing yes. some great things. So and I'll be around for. A few more years until I die. <laughs> she's got it. She's got many more good years than I do. But, but well, speaking, I envy of, you. I, I don't know about you. Do you ever? Do you ever? When I see young people at AA meetings, it's it's like, I, darn! I wish I would have thought about I, this at a younger age. Randall, you know? I, there's not a meeting I don't think of that and say, what? How would my life be different if I hadn't drank for mm. many years? Yeah. And 
it you know you don't know and that there's no sure things in life and that there is a plan but he, I haven't been apprised of it and but you're right and you know as a disease we have a stigma and that's why I was very happy to run into Randall over at the AA Central Office and say, let's do a show yeah. together. And Lee, the other member of our team, and Bill Francis, people want to get this out. He's and from Comcast. Yes. Lee's behind the cameras. Lee, and so we try to reach people. And having guests like you, I really look forward to doing that show. And it's just because I get a chance to meet you, people like you and, wow. and hear your story. Thanks okay, so, so much. I, so, I just, so I was walking down the street and I just found her and asked her if she wanted to do this. How do you think she did? <laughs> that, that, that is amazing. You know, you maybe don't get into TV, maybe become a TV producer. Or a casting director. Right? Casting director, yeah, yeah, the, the new go. Jeff Johnson. <laughs> Amy, thank you. Thank Randall, you. as always, yes. we look forward to doing this another time. Every week. And we've enjoyed being with you. Again, want to thank Bill Francis, Lee, who's done all the production. For Randall, I'm Tripp Mitchell saying thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time. Have a great week.